Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, welcome to the 364th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Brian Lorenzo. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we are speaking with the hosts of The Screenwriting Life, Meg LaFove and Lorian McKenna. And it's a crossover episode. This is fun. Their podcast, The Screenwriting Life, was actually an unpaid endorsement of Matt's a little while ago. And their producer, Jeff, is a listener of Just Shoot It Pod. So What up, Jeff? Actually, one of my favorite parts of this episode was us trying to figure out their format and them trying to figure out our format on top of each other. You know, uh, we've we've done plenty of uh, crossovers over the years, and it's funny that this one felt great. It was a really lovely conversation, and it felt like four leaders, four take-charge sort of podcasters, all trying to not be rude and also wanting to not run the show but you know get keep the train on its tracks you should check out the screenwriting life it's really great i truly love it i think it's an awesome awesome show they're very experienced writers they met at pixar meg was a writer on inside out on captain marvel on a lot of various awesome projects lorian also worked on inside out on up on brave Mm -hmm. Uh, and they have a lot of their own projects going on. Some real ass movies. And it's fun to kind of see that they have a lot of the same struggles and challenges that we have and a lot mm-hmm. of the same uh, passion and perseverance that uh, we have and that our guests have. So I think it was a, a great chat. It was great. I, you know, also, I think it, they are both capital W writers, you know, that is and, and showrunners, but like their core competency is writing and their core business is writing. And, you know, you and I both write, but it's a different sort of deal, certainly. And so I kind of was struck by how many specific technical questions I had, you know, coming at it as a writer director is different than coming at it as a writer. And so like the likelihood that we're on assignment for something or pitching on an open assignment, that's not a directing pitch uh, was unique. It was really interesting. So like I, I, we got into the nitty gritty on some of the practicalities of being a working screenwriter as well, which was fun. Yeah. Well, let's get into the interview. Uh, but before we do that, I want to remind people that we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. It's where you can give us a dollar, $2, $4, $8, $16, $32, $64, $128, $256 at the $20 level. You'll get a hat that says just shoot it on it. Potentially 
because we might have just mailed the last one out, but we're going to get more. We're going to get other things. We should make these spaghetti hats, right? Why don't we just steal that idea? Matt's wearing a hat that says spaghetti on it right now. MrParmesan.com if you want a spaghetti hat. Very hungry. But yeah, patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. It's what keeps this podcast going. It's what makes us feel like people are listening and care about it so much that they're willing to put their dollars where their web browsers are. Hearts are. Their hearts are. Their hearts. Anyhow, patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. Let's talk to Meg and Lorian. At the screenwriting life. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As directors, Matt and Orrin have worked in sketch, TV, features, and commercial campaigns, which includes Matt's Emmy-nominated work on Key & Peele and Orrin's directorial debut, The Hammer, which won the Breakthrough Film Award at AFI Fest. All four of them are passionate about discussing the nuts and bolts of being a creative in the entertainment industry, so I can't wait for their conversation. Hi, everyone. Should we all introduce our voices? So like, hi, I'm Lorian. Oh, yeah. I'm Oren. Uh, I'm Matt. And I'm Meg. I think the good thing about Matt and me being a duo is I think there's there's a lot of people that have podcasts that have very similar voices, but I'm told I have a very nasally voice, and it really helps separate us. That's uh, the one advantage to listen to our podcast. He's had multiple compliments about how he's so brave to be to have a podcast with that sort of voice. Oh. I've literally had listeners that say that have written in saying 
that I've inspired them to not be so self-conscious about their voice. Congratulations. (laughs) Okay. That's why I don't listen to our podcast that much because I don't want to hear my voice that's outside my head. I like it inside my head just fine. That's Mm -hmm. all good. You just turn your bass up a little bit. I think you'll get there. (laughs) The mix issue. All right. So we start on the TSL podcast that you've uh, agreed to join us for our part, which is we talk about our weeks or what we call adventures in screenwriting. So we'll let Lorian go first. Lorian, how was your week? Uh, this week, I battled with perfectionism, which manifested itself when I agreed to make latkes for my daughter's cultural potluck. Um, and I you know, made like, I don't know, like 50 latkes for the two fifth grade classes. And so, you know, my whole house smells like mm-hmm. grease fire and potatoes and onions. Uh, uh, latkes are potato pancakes that we Jews eat during Hanukkah when we fry things in oil. Uh, it is not Hanukkah. It's actually Purim right now, but it's for the cultural potluck. Anyway, so I'm cooking them. And of course, as you cook them in the grease, the colors change. They start to get darker. So I start freaking out about how they're burned. And then I start worrying about how the kids are going to judge me. And then they're going to tell all their parents what terrible latkes they were. And I went into this weird latke shame spiral and I couldn't pull myself out of it. And it's odd for me to do this in front of my kid. And after it was all over, like hours and I'm cleaning up, um, I did leave all the pots in the sink for my husband, which, you know, because I'm generous like that. But she came over to me and I know this sounds made up, but she said, Mama, they're so good. Thank you so much. And if the kids don't like them, too bad. She loves you. Take that into your work. So I was like, oh, okay. It just helped me like reset my nervous system, I think, that at least she'd be okay. Because I was so worried that she'd be bringing these trash fire latkes to school. And then the kids would make fun of her because it tastes too oniony. Like I was putting all of my worries onto her Mm -hmm. and she could give a shit. You were putting your childhood onto her. Yes. And so it was, she just... Her saying she came over and gave me a hug and like looked me in the eye. And I was like, okay, well, actually, I'm a good parent because she can come like settle me like that. But also like, okay, can I take that into my body and apply it to my work and sort of avoid that spiral? Because it was hard as I'm cooking them. I'm spiraling. So, you know, that was fun. Yeah. And if if you get tears in the oil, it'll splatter. It's a whole problem. (laughs) It's a whole trauma that my stomach started to hurt because I started to eat them. And then, you know, like it's it's the whole Jewish experience, right? Shame, guilt, stomach aches. (laughs) That sounds just like writing. That's exactly yeah. what you cry into your into your computer. Like, yes, it sounds exactly like it sizzles. Writing. It splatters at you. I mean, I know yeah, you're yeah. you're joking, Meg, but the there is I, obviously I'm not joking. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't think of kids as uh, the greatest judges of quality foods in general. You know, I don't know if you give them a piece of pizza from Lucifer's or some a great pizza place or. I saw on Twitter last night, there's a, a woman, she's a writer also. She's, it's, she's like the L.A. burger aficionado that can rank every burger in L.A. Um, do you know who I'm talking about, Lauren? Yeah, I do. I can't remember her name right now, but yes. But um, but in screenwriting, I think you, you are much more worried about what people are going to think of your draft. Is that – how how do you take that thing you said about perfectionism, Lauren, uh, from latkes to screenwriting? Is that – are do you try to write well, without a filter? I did it this morning. I I got commenced on a short genre piece this week. And so I have to deliver a couple of options for plots, you know, just like it could be this, it could be this. And so 
it's due tomorrow. And then I actually asked for more time. Can I do it? Can I bring delivered on Thursday? And then I was like, or I just fucking sit down and come up with like five plot ideas, which I did. And then they were all like, fine. And I sent them off. And then they can decide which ones they like and give me feedback. But it was sort of like, oh, I just have to like do it because I could sit here for the next two days and cry into the grease and get burned, (laughs) you know, or I could just be like, I could write these. I like what they are. And then they get to decide because they're paying me which one they want me to write. How do you come up with plot ideas? Uh, Is that is do you have I know as directors, we you know, we write a lot of treatments. We kind of try to find our angle on different people's writing. And I personally will watch a lot of stuff. I'll go to YouTube. I'll go to Vimeo. I'll I'll watch movies. I'll do all these things. But I think as a writer, when someone says, hey, I need five plot ideas, do you just go directly to chat GPT or what's your move? (laughs) That easy. (laughs) No, I just started writing what I like, what would I want to see if I were, I don't, no idea. I usually go to character and what I want to have happen to the character emotionally. See, Meg always has like the real answer. I talk, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, and then I think she answers that. And I'm like, oh yeah, she's right. That's exactly what I do. I just, I also do, I I also do do what you suggested is I'll go to the character emotionally, what I want to have happening in the character and the relationship because plot is about relationship. What do I, how do I want to twist and turn this relationship? But I also go to genre. Okay. I know all of that, but I'm in this genre. So maybe I do go watch movies in that genre to refresh myself on it. Or because definitely if you're pitching to somebody who knows that genre, you better know it, right? So sometimes I do have to do a lot of homework um, in terms of how the genre works. But then I always go back to character because, you know, you can do a thousand cards of cool ideas to happen in that movie and genre, but if it doesn't attach to emotion and character and relationship, they're somewhat interchangeable. And I'm really finding with a lot of executives I work with now in live action, they don't want that. They don't necessarily want a kind of cookie cutter in or out. It could be this, it could be that. They want to know, well, why does that have mm. to happen to him? And how does that change the relationship? Because it used to be, back in the old days, um, they really wanted something they'd never seen before. It was a very external kind of uh, um, assessment. I'm not saying you still don't have to do that. You do. You still have to do all that kind of razzle-dazzle. But you have to be able to talk at least about the relationship. So that's where I start. And then I I will cry for a while because I have no good ideas. And then I just sit there and wade through the crap until finally mm-hmm. that one little thing rises and you're like, oh, that might work. That's good. And Meg eats cookies and I eat chips. Yeah. During yeah, the frying. That's I, how that works. Uh, I like coffee. <laughs> you, you know, it makes me think of, um, are you all familiar with uh, the comics artist Linda Berry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So she talks a lot about um, just the act of physically drawing or, or writing as a way to just kind of get the gears moving. And Lorraine, that your your process reminded me of that and it's a similar thing for me where i literally will just start typing just to kind of just whatever literally whatever words come out of my brain and eventually maybe you land on a seed of something that then can become character and i'll or, even or write let it concept. let it let, let that voice write like okay this sucks why does this sucks i'm worried mm-hmm. it's this okay mm-hmm. what and i just let it whatever comes out comes out i think is helpful matt yeah. how was your week uh, my week was, you know, pretty good, actually. As directors, Orin and I talk about all the time, you know, it's a, in commercial directors in particular, it's been a relatively dry. And so that can be scary, to be frank, right? Um, and so I've been really actively 
developing my own work and like taking a lot of meetings, catching up with friends, doing like the coffee thing, which is I was mentioning off mic why I'm so caffeinated. I'm like <laughs> I had my normal coffee in the morning and then I went and had a nice strong coffee on top of that. And I am so forgive me if I speak too my, quickly. My tip is to just go to decaf. I can't do it for I every meeting. It. it tastes the exact same. No, it does not. You put cream in your coffee. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so, but getting the act of getting out has been really wonderful. Um, and just kind of being reminded that you have peers and friends who are not only kind of maybe going through the same things that you're going through, but also, um, you know, on, on the flip side, like your work and are, are happy to reconnect. It's been a long time for some of these people. So that's been really nice. Um, but then also, I wanted to talk a little bit about with all of you, um, I'm kind of in the early seeds of a new project and realized that I have started, um, my approach is different than it used to be. I used to just kind of like hit the page and start typing. And in this case, being so uh, like deck oriented, like putting images uh, you know, into slides and all of that, I've started um, simultaneously co collecting inspirational pieces. Um, and that is a new process for me in terms of developing story and tone and all of that. Has that ever occurred to you? Do you are you just like words on the page, or do you ever like make a mix CD or like you know pull some swatches? Any of that stuff? Well, certainly, if you're going to go into pitch, you can have you know visual uh, reference. So sure, yeah, I've done that mostly for pitching, um, starting to pull images mostly. Or, you know, actors' faces, like this is the type of actor, it, mm -hmm. like an Emma Stone or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I, especially for the world and tone and mood of it, um, or if you're world building, for sure, you've got to have some images. So I do do that, mostly for pitches um, versus um, when I'm actually now in the draft. Um, it's mm -hmm. mostly in my head. But I've done it with, uh, I, I, I wrote a genre, um, a horror piece and I've never done that before. And so I wanted it to feel and look a certain way. It was sort of mm -hmm. high concept, certain, very specific setting. So I found images to sort of set the tone with the sort of pitch I sent back to the studio. Like here, here is what I'm talking about because a log line or character descriptions didn't quite hit it. And I'm um, doing the same thing with this genre piece right now, sort of mm -hmm. it, it it's not enough. I need to have a take on the material that is very visual since it's an animated project. And mm, so, mm -hmm. um, to support my very specific vision about it. So I sent all those like ideas and then once they pick one, then I'll put together a sort of deck because that helps me when I'm writing the script exactly. because that helps yeah. me ground it in like, this is a genre I've never written in science fiction before. I mm -hmm. love sci-fi. I'm super excited, but like, I need to know exactly what I'm doing and mm -hmm. that helps me ground it because like meg said it's world building um which is uh really helpful and i've done it too i've done it mostly like pitches yeah pitches i think um but it's about the conversation more than selling it i think that's what you're talking 100%. about yeah, yeah yeah absolutely or even just you know i think as uh my process evolves you know so much of commercial you know, getting the job is pitching, right? But you kind of realize you your take coalesces as you're finding the different elements, right? You're saying like, it's like this or like that or this element of this shot, et cetera. And so that just has become just a, a deeper part of my 
formulation of what I'm trying to do in the first place, basically. So like, I, I don't know that it's ever public facing, you know? Yeah, I think that's really true. It does help you figure out what you're doing to even start gathering photographs or references. I remember when I was a producer and I had a first time director and pretty much the first production designer she met, she was like, I want to go with her. She wants to do it. We can afford her. Let's do it. And my boss was like, nope, she's going to meet four more. And mm -hmm. I was like, why? We have no money. Let's just go. And she's like, because I want her to keep talking about this movie. I want her to have to keep talking about her vision. I want her, her to have to keep explaining it mm -hmm. to other people because it's going to help crystallize and clarify it for her. So when she gets on set, I know you guys are directors, so you probably do that all the time. But it was a really interesting thing for me as a young producer to hear that, that as a director. And I think that's true of for writers, too. more you have to talk about your story... Mm -hmm. the more you figure it out and know from what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, from my experience, there's no such thing as like a good first pitch, you know, because you need to talk to people and How see dare what, you. what they're latching All of onto. my pitches are gorgeous and brilliant. I mean. <laughs> sure. But you've, you've workshop first pitch I'm McKenna. <laughs> I'm kidding. Matt, I saw, to answer your question, I saw another writer on Twitter had said something really interesting about how she writes really descriptive uh, details about the locations that her stories are set in. And she said that she will go on Google Maps and just drive the roads and look at buildings and look mm -hmm. at signs and look at parks and look at people and look at all the things that you can see just driving through a town and try to use that, uh, you know, put that in her brain as she's writing so that, you know, from a geography standpoint, everything is making sense. And I'm curious with you two, Megan Lorian, since you were at Pixar, I've heard that there's a lot of field trips and things that go on there in terms of figuring out story. Can you can you tell us a little bit about how I mean there's a tremendous is? amount of research that's involved in in terms of the that world building and you do a lot of that um with experts bringing in experts to talk about it. So let's say with the emotions, a lot of emotional um scientists and experts um on it. And then there's of course the field trips because now you've picked a location and that's often more for the artists because they've got to draw it. Um, right. Because Inside Out takes place in San Francisco, right? Yeah. So the, a, a field trip into San Francisco is going to be really more for the um, artists. Um, but for us, you know, when you're world building, the art department is, you know, really important. That's starting to refer back, even character design, that's starting to come back around and affect the writing, right? So like on The Good Dinosaur, there was one section and I was like, I don't, I don't know. We're going so fast. I don't know what are these dinosaurs? And then these proofs came back of dinosaurs with mullets. And I was like, okay, there we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. That's the, so it's a very back and forth fluid conversation and animation of a lot of people. The field trips are also about how it feels. Um, mm -hmm. So it's for the artists, right? Um, but it's also the experience of being there. So when they went to um, the Tapuis and up, it was really scary and spooky up there. So like Jen trying to capture that through the light and the drawing and everything, but also just remembering like the directors and the producers and the artists were there remembering how that felt and then making sure that you put that in the film in the areas where it needs to be in. I know for Brave, when they all went to Scotland, it was the same thing. And that's how I think about when I write descriptions is how do I want the reader to feel here? How does my main character feel here? I do think research is super important for writing. I mean... Jane Anderson's a, a brilliant writer and she is a really good researcher. Like it, she's not going to just say, 
you know, we go to a trailer park. She's going to go to a lot of trailer parks and she's going to go to them in the location and the state. And she's going to talk to everybody and do lots of interviews. And she has such wonderful, beautiful specificity and uniqueness because an authenticity to her writing, um, not just because she's a great writer, but because she cares so much about those details. So I do think that's important at some point in your writing process. Yeah. So here's a funny story. And then we're going to ask you about your um, week, Oren. So Meg and I uh, got to go on a research trip once together and explore a city. And the things that we found there, the specifics that we found there that we had no idea if we wouldn't have gone there, uh, you know, made it made their way into our project and brought it to life in a way. So it's as much, you know, what it looked like. To your point, the specificity of actually going to a place. So like if you can use Google Maps, like, oh, my God, every single car in this neighborhood is white, even without actually going there. But I will not be using Google Maps because that seems like a, a hole I will fall into. So, OK, Oren, how was your week? I'll play the opposite role of Matt, who was very happy. Uh, and I, I pitched on three projects. Welcome to Just I, Shoot It, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I got one of them. I pitched on two very big budget projects and one kind of small project budget project. And I got the small budget one. And it's, uh, you know, it's demoralizing. I'm sure you've done it. Oh, my God. Wait, if... stop. Hold on. Congratulations. Yes. You got a project. Matt had just told us how it's dry out there right now. And that's hard that's to get work. True. You got a project. I did. Those no's don't mean anything now because you got a yes, right? That's what you were going for, right? So, like, hooray. Congratulations. You got work Thanks. doing the thing that you want to be doing. That's yes. amazing. Welcome to the screenwriting life. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I know Matt and I, we have, so, you know, when we're pitching on, on jobs, it's probably similar to when you're pitching on jobs. We make these huge decks. We write, we talk to all these people. We do all this stuff. We do the research. We, for us, we start talking to crew. You know, we have producers, right? At budgets and we do all this stuff. We'll make a 50 page deck uh, with images and everything and get notes on it and do the whole thing. And then we present it and we're very excited. And then they make us wait way too long to tell us if we got the job or not. And then a lot of times we have no idea why we did or didn't get, didn't get the job. And Matt and I have this debate about whether it's good to have been in whether competition and lost. And lost than never to have pitched at all. Than never yeah. to have spent, you know, yeah. two, three weeks doing free work basically on it's things. Exactly that the same. Free work is hard, but like you pitched in front of somebody, you met new people, you got practice developing your craft in a way that you wouldn't have on a new project. Like those two things right there. I mean, just being in front of other people, new people and introducing yourself to them and giving an opportunity to be like, hi, here I am. This is what I love and what I do. I think that's amazing. I mean, Orin, no I'm with work. you this week. I'm like, oh my God, what if all this free work? What the hell? Do you want me to do it or not? <laughs> right. So I, 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 it can be fatiguing, especially because you're talking weeks and weeks and 50 page decks. And I do find it annoying as well that they never tell you why. So you can never adjust, improve, change, alter. There's no feedback loop coming in. It's just kind of like, ghost like someone else clearly got this so I, I it can be I think it can be super hard and I think on the writing side it's something that you know people at the WJ talk about all the time just the incredible amount of free work that can go into multiple writers all doing the same amount of work in these bake-offs 
and they're kind of cherry picking mm-hmm. the best ideas. Um, so it, I, I think it can be demoralizing and hard. I, I, it can be for sure. Yeah. And I totally appreciate Lauren meeting new people, getting practice, all that stuff. But especially as writers, it's probably, this probably pertains more to you than to us. But if you have two weeks where you can either be developing and working and pitching on someone else's project or two weeks where you can be developing and working and writing your own project, then it, it, it is, you know, you're not going to get paid for either one, but at the end of the day, you own something or you've just done free work for other people. I've been in that where for months and months I'm pitching on things that are other people's property. Or, yeah. And then the end of six months, I'm like, I haven't generated anything of my own and I don't mm-hmm. own anything that I just worked on for free. Mm-hmm. And so it's about figuring out how to protect yourself Balance. a little bit in that. And so much of it is a balance, right? We have to earn a living. We have to go out and pitch on these things that are actually set up and going and there's money behind them. Those are real, right? You have to mm-hmm. go and pitch on those and do your best. But I, I agree. You have to also be really mindful of that balance of continuing to do your own thing, be that your spec, that book you optioned or whatever, so that if those things don't pan out, you have you still have something. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've been recently... Uh, in my pitches, I've been doing a lot of shooting, a lot of test videos. You know, uh, I do a lot of visual effects and kind of different visual experiments. And so when I pitch on a project now, I'm actively choosing to make some video based on it so that if I don't get the job, you know, maybe a few months down the road, I can post that video and talk about it on Instagram or on the podcast or make some sort of learning moment out of it, even if I'm not using it for the project that I was pitching it for. Uh, and I'm sure in writing, I'm sure you take, you have a take like, Oh, this is about how volcanoes are, uh, you know, our feelings or whatever it is. And it, somebody doesn't buy it, but then maybe you use it for something else. I'm curious, do you, do you two care at all about, and Meg, I promise we will get to you too, but do you care about Instagram? Like, I guess writers, you're not like, Oh, posting a stack of pages. Yeah, I like, have an Instagram account that I just started called Pitch Outfits, mm, where I, I like take that. a picture like of myself like before a Zoom pitch or anything. Like I took one the other day, right before I was going to go to my psych meeting to, you know, to get do my medication check for my ADD. Right, like here's what I look like. Here's a terrible yeah. selfie. Because yeah. uh, so that entertains me, but that that's not about like marketing. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. Like that's like yeah. here is how I'm in my pajamas twenty four hours a day. Where where I think. I'm more, I'm definitely more on Facebook and it's not so much about work. It's about community and mm-hmm. community building and, and sharing stuff. Uh, almost, you know, taking a, almost concierging like this. I think this is important to think about or whatever. Um, but no, I think for visual artists, directors, my husband's a painter. It's super important. He, you know, his Instagram account and his artwork going up there. And it's, it's very much part of his business, that visual Instagram account for sure. Not so much. I don't think for writers, I could be wrong. I'm jealous. I I do a lot of animation. And so sometimes I'm looking for uh, character design or Mm -hmm. an environments artist. And I will look at people's accounts on Instagram. Like someone might say, check out this person's account. I'll look through all of their stuff. Um, It's a lot easier than like trying to find a website. But you never have the career anxiety of like, okay, well, I've got one spot for in the hopper that I haven't bragged about yet. 
And if I post it on a Tuesday, hopefully no. agency people will see it and maybe it'll, yeah. some work will shake out no. from it. No. I'm so jealous. Uh, the no, smiles on your Twitter. face. <laughs> that's like, that's like a, a whole place, anxiety man. hole yeah. that I have not, I'm not going to fall into. That's there what are, I'm telling you. No, Lauren, you're right. There are a lot of writers on Twitter yeah. and they are really very, very active and huge followings. And um, that might be important to buyers, but you know, honestly... Buyers just think that writers are somewhat a dime a dozen. So, you know what I mean? I don't, it, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't, I've never heard of that. And maybe um, I'm wrong, but I haven't heard of buyers picking you because of how many Twitter followers you have. Um, yeah, Jeff is saying that a lot of late night writers um, kind of can get discovered on there. And um, uh, Justin Halpern, who made shit my dad says, he, I believe he started out on Twitter. I, I mean, yeah. there are... You know, we talk about it as like the lottery ticket, right? Like the person that just made some something that just hit at the right time at the right place and they got famous over, you know, kind of overnight. Uh, obviously, that's not what happens to most people, but it does seem like it's in the comedy world, Twitter, at least where, where I'm exposed to a lot of writers through Twitter and I start following people that I think are really funny um, and, and and have interesting points of view. So I think there's yeah, some, I- some value there. I guess the point I was making was less about like amassing a following of any sort and more about reminding people of your existence and and showing that you're working. You know, a set selfie is part of that as well of just like, oh, that's right. Uh, You know, Enlo is a great comedy director. Let's have him come in. I mean, I have 37 followers, so like, (laughs) and I write the right 37. Like I prefer like uh, the mystery of Meg's Ooh, very Meg. Meg You're like very, the Sia of screenwriting. She's very busy. She's in super demand. busy. She's Doesn't so have in time demand. To tweet. Does not even it. have time to tweet. But you know what? She'll read your project and consider it. Uh, so Meg, I think it's funny that you want to be a mysterious person, but you have a podcast with over a million downloads. Okay. So yes, true, Lorian. Yes, thank you for calling me out on somebody else's podcast that's great but um i uh yes i okay here's the truth i am not mysterious i'm lazy (laughs) i'm too lazy to do all of that social media there you go that's true no i'm i of course i'm joking about the mysteriousness of course um i'm a people pleaser speaking of transparency meg can you tell us a little bit about your week well transition yes great uh, I basically learned this week that I am addicted to being busy, that mm. I actually have a chance to finally relax. And instead I'm pitching on a project and they want me to work all weekend so that I can pitch on it as fast as possible. Who knows why it's Hollywood. Hurry up and wait. Wait, when no- you say you're addicted yeah. to it, does that mean that you have, you have an endless amount of opportunities to pitch and you have decided no, to meaning I them? should, I should for my health, I should take two weeks a month and just relax because I've been through such a, an intense situation of, of work that, you know, you, you can get actually physically, you need to like relax now, but you know, health insurance is due. I don't know what to say. Like it's a real thing for contract workers when your insurance is going to come up and you need a check, even though you're tired, even though you really should rest, you don't because you need so that's a real thing, but um, I should And you're really... both freelancers, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, you know, when, when you work at Pixar, you're more of a weekly employee, but pretty much, no, even then you're still a contract employee. Since you left Pixar, what percentage of your 
years have you had health insurance? Uh, for me, I've been lucky and I've been able to keep it together, but it's kind of all, it also always feels like bubble gum, you know, bubble gum and twine. Like you're just, you're just making it, um, under the wire and I have enough points that I could probably Cobra it across, but then I get weird about my points and I want to save them for a disaster. Um, but I've been lucky and been able to keep it, keep it going, but it's a thing. It's a real thing. Cause when you work in animation, none of that counts. Oh really? Yeah, I've lost my. I've lost my insurance, I think, twice, like not being able because the way you get paid sometimes and the way it's reported and then just Mm -hmm. having a bad year. So I've had to Cobra it, which is ridiculously expensive. Um, And it sucks. It really, really sucks. And it's good. It's good. It's good fodder for my anxiety that I have to be busy. Right. It's so perfect. Well, you're going to be out of healthcare, Mm -hmm. and you have a special needs child. You can't be out of healthcare, and blah, 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 blah. But meanwhile, I really should have just given myself a week. (laughs) Maybe, but I can't, I can't, I, I went to the doctor the other day and you're, you know, the situations where you're in the waiting room, but they've taken your phone and stuff. Maybe you're sitting in that stupid gown or whatever. And you're like, oh my God, I have to sit here for 20 minutes without any stimulus, without any busyness. I'm going to lose my mind right now. I don't know. Maybe you guys are Zen masters and that's not. No, no, we are not. It makes me think of a thing like I'll refer to as show crash. That's after you've been shooting, especially if you, you're on like a tear, you've been shooting a lot or you're on like a series or something like that, because the high of being a director, having that sort of status, people laugh at your jokes, you're in demand constantly. Someone is asking you a question every That's 30 minutes. That's Matt's writer, by the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very clear. <laughs> I wear a T-shirt that says laugh at my jokes or you're fired. Um, just kidding. I'm just naturally hilarious. Uh, but no, but seriously, you know, you just like you get you get a little buzz off of it. Right. And the, and also just the fun of, like I said, being in demand or having things scheduled out for you. Every meal is taken care of. They, someone tells you where to park. That's a real honest to goodness high. And then it's over. You're posing with your slate and you say, that's a wrap. You take your selfie and you go home. And I've seen like especially like younger actors who aren't on the, the, they're not waking up quite so early and rapping quite so late. So that's not quite as physical. Just get real bummed. You just, you really, you, you literally have to take a couple weeks and they don't know what to do with them, with themselves because you think like, oh, this is who I am. This is who I'm meant to be, is to be on set all the time. I'm my true self in this moment. And that is not true and that is not sustainable. You know, that's so interesting because as a writer, I think that's for sure true when you're a, at Pixar because it feels like such a family and you're in a group mm-hmm. and you feel like part mm-hmm. of it. And then, you know, the writing's over. So bye bye. But they're still going. They're going to go into animation. That family's still going. And so you're like, you're going without me. Mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute. Sure. So you do have that kind of like crash of of. But I, it's so funny. I think other than Pixar, in my experience, that writer's high lasts about a week into the project if you're lucky <laughs> because sure. all of a sudden yeah. they don't like what you're doing or that's yeah, not what yeah. we said or did we agree upon that we know we told you to write that but now we've changed our mind or like mm-hmm. <laughs> the self-doubt is comes in way too quick mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would love to have that director's high <laughs> yes yeah. exactly yeah yeah it is i mean it, it's yeah i think with both probably more with being on set we, we go from everyone needing our time to us all of a sudden trying to get people to talk to us, you know, mm-hmm. and to want us to work with them. And it's that shift is, it's a, you have to go, you know, from 60 to zero to negative 60 and <laughs> passing yeah. through that state of people wanting you versus you wanting people is uh, painful. Yeah, it's real. Time. And I, I do think I'm going through a little bit of that. Yeah. 
that shift, that That's shift. The addiction into... to busy, right? Yes. That's why then when you're I'm busy, still you don't needed. have to worry about it. I'm still needed. <laughs> Being a showrunner is like that, right? You're everything sure. all the yeah. time. And then all of a sudden, you're not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wait, I still have notes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's someone, over. Someone the show's out. me about this lens. Show me a yeah. prop, please. Yeah. So, Meg, what's the job that you took? You're busy. Oh, I'm. I I haven't. I'm trying to get the job, and in Hollywood, that means you pitch multiple times, and they want. It's kind of this really interesting balancing act because they want as many details and specifics of what your take is as possible. Basically, I think Mm -hmm. in the perfect world, they want you to pitch the whole movie, and they gave you the book or the whatever like a week ago. but I think it's dangerous as a writer to pitch too much because if you get way out into the specifics and weeds in a pitch, now they have a lot to say no to or wonder, mm-hmm. or I don't like that, mm-hmm. or how does that, you know, stuff that in your head, you're like, how does that hook up to that? And you know, you'll figure it out because that's not what's important. What's important are these big stepping stones. I'm showing you the movie, but you know, it's, it's a balancing act right now that I'm, I'm trying to figure out of how much to, well, first of all, like you guys said, how much to invest, Right. Um, mm-hmm. in it and also but more importantly how much what's helpful information that really tells them my view of the project and what's just going to be like the weeds and things to say no to do you ever know who you're pitching against and does that no. at all factor into how you pitch? no i mean i at this point i can i ask is how many how many other writers are they out to um, mm-hmm. And they will usually tell you if that's true or not. Who knows? And occasionally, I can say for this one, I need to be exclusive. I just I've earned that right to ask to be exclusive. It doesn't mean you're going to be exclusive. Meaning, but sometimes they'll do that. Um, and, but, you and know, out of curiosity, yeah. how, how many is the typical number? If you say like, oh, are they out to other writers? Is it's it three writers? Like, is it ten? It could be three to five, or if if it's a big bake-off, yeah, it could be more. I I think they don't want to listen to 10 pitches, honestly. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably about five, three to five writers would be my guess. I just pretend that's not happening. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. I'll spin out. You can spin out who it could be, who else might, who else is like me or so different from me. Like, it's just, you can't, like, I I had to imagine, yeah. Yeah, I had to, you know, I'm doing this one with my husband and I are pitching on it. And I just was talking to him today, like, okay, I'm starting to feel really anxious. And I'm like, you know what? Wait a minute. This is what we love about it. This is how we do it. Right. If they Mm want to do that, great. If you don't, then don't. Like, because you can get so involved in what they want to hear that you start to shift your pitch based on that, but then you got to go write it. <laughs> like, like you can get lost in the short-term gain of win a win it, win the pitch, win the job. And that could be somewhat dangerous because if you don't actually feel it and you don't can't own it to make it yours, which I've done before, that's just a ring of hell when you actually have to go make it. I'm sure it must be the same with directing. Like your feet aren't on the ground. Yeah. I mean, the, the, it kind of depends on the length of the project. If it's, um, if I'm selling a uh, cortisone cream or whatever, and I don't, it doesn't speak to me personally, you know, it's not the end of the world, but, uh, but you hope that the jokes are strong or that you get to do some sort of, you know, something visually that's interesting for the, the so your voice at least. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the scripted stuff, the longer form stuff, um, certainly, you know, but I, but I think maybe, uh, you know, Orin and I have to do so much, digging in stuff that 
isn't necessarily going to ever speak to us, that you have to find those little kernels. You know, like, I don't know many right. people who, like, you know, got stars in their eyes as children and said, someday I'll direct a Listerine commercial. You know, like, we're, it's... it's a, their spots. They're, they're good spots. Um, but, you know, like, you, you're... You, 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 when you come to commercial filmmaking, it's for a handful of reasons, financial being a, a major part of it. But like, it's still so competitive that if you don't find the things that speak to you, then it just doesn't, you just, you won't win, you know, like, and, and in advertising, we, they literally will say awarded or win the job in a way that's extra gross, you yeah. know, I mean, it's, it's a competition every yeah. time. And I've, I, I've kind of gone back and forth. I used to never know who I was up against and I would just pitch, you know, my heart out. Uh, and then I started working with other producers that would tell me, by the way, you're up against this director and this director and this director. And some of them were pretty big, successful directors. And I would look at their work and I would just start trying to pitch away from it. You know, um, mm -hmm. if they are really good with kids or with cinematic family stuff or, or, you know, animation, I would just try to pitch the opposite because I know that I can't beat them at that, but but maybe I can beat them at my own thing. Orin and I used to pitch against each other all the time. Do you two ever, are you ever up for the same thing? No, we haven't no. so far. No, so far. We did have one project that I was working on and I started to pitch it to you and you said, stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't hear that. I have something similar. And I was like, all right, right? Yeah, like exactly. that's happened before, but it was like two totally separate, different. Yeah things right. now as, you guys we as, have a question for you oh sure for you, sorry is, I, I told um, you we wouldn't be able to help ourselves that's okay <laughs> so a lot of our listeners as writers do want to be directors or they're already out in the business um transferring over from a different department maybe so what would be your advice um for our listeners who are writers who want to direct just broad mm -hmm. any broad advice you would give them yeah yeah the easy easiest piece just shoot it yeah, yeah. It's, it's the ethos of the show. But like truly, you know, self-generation is is the secret to literally nine out of 10 directors that we talk to. We talk to a lot of people who we, you know, admire and do great work. And like they almost always started um, with making shooting their own shorts with their friends. So like finding a group of like minded people who can support one another and then doing low stakes experiments is certainly the best way to get started and certainly informs your writing. You know what I mean? Like the more you understand about what it takes to execute something, the better. And like my main pet peeve as a director is when you get, you know, scene description in particular, that's not actually shootable, you know, um, that drives me nuts. And, what other uh, pet peeves? What other? Tell us more. Tell us more. Um, Okay, let me when, ask you, is this yeah. shootable? It's the kind of kitchen that someone who hosts alumni fundraisers have. Yes. Is yes, that 100%, shootable? 100% okay. shootable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Easily. It's more... Just a it, bunch it, of college posters mm -hmm. on the wall. <laughs> and and I, you get a little pass when it comes to major location descriptors and character introductions. Character introductions, you get one sentence where you can say something really poetic and fun. Um, and I think I wonder... I find that I, since directing more than writing, my scene descriptions have gotten really sterile in a way that I have to actually work against. You know, I'm like too descriptive. It's just, it becomes a blueprint and there's no poetry to it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you, it's, it's a balance between like entertaining people, making them feel like they're watching the movie and then also just like being straightforward with 
what's literally on the page. So so internal stuff tends to be the thing that is hard for people to wrap their heads around. And once you sh- are shooting, you realize, ah, dang, I know what I meant, but none of my crew does. You know, I can't so tell you how many times. what's an example of that? Like I said, internal stuff. Orin, help me out. Like, uh... When, Something uh, like, when can, she realizes she shouldn't have done that. Something yeah, like realizes that. Yeah. or like, you know, any sort of introspection tends to be the sweet spot. Yeah. I mean, for me, a bigger pet peeve. And again, Matt and I, we've done longer form things a lot. We did episodic things. and longer, But the last few years, we've really been doing very short form work, like commercials. And for me, I get sometimes scripts that just have a lot of small details in them that don't seem that important to the scene, but they're really hard to shoot. Like she walks across the room and her shoe gets caught in a little crack and she, you know, falls over, her shoe becomes untied and she bends mm-hmm. down just to emphasize that she's feeling unsure of herself or something. But I see that as four different shots, you know, as opposed to her being unsure of herself, just walking across and maybe she puts her hands in her pockets. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. very easy to shoot, but some her interacting with a, a tiny thing, like a, a human size person interacting with a tiny crack or those things where the scale of what you're talking about change a lot mm-hmm. to me it has to be important for to be worth shooting uh, and that's something and especially in commercials a lot of times people will just write like I had a this job I did where uh, this soccer player this this soccer player comes in and she's holding a soccer ball and it has grass on it and she takes her goalie glove and she touches the elevator button with her glove and it leaves some grass blades on the elevator button and somebody comes and, and cleans it off. It was from Marriott Hotels about how they clean everything. And to me, I, the writer just wrote two sentences and just seemed super simple. Yeah, the, the soccer player comes and she has grass on her glove. And she, but setting up that there's grass, you know, in a wide shot of a hotel, setting up that a ball is grassy, which, by the way, they, they tend to not have that much grass stuck down. <laughs> Uh, and then have, seeing her touch it with her hand and then her touch the elevator button and then noticing, again, in this shot that's wide enough to see somebody come in and that is recognizable and wipe it off. We kind of have to be close. We have to be far. We have to be close. We have to be far. It's like six shots for something that's totally like we could establish that they clean things in a much easier mm-hmm. way. You know, there could be a spill on the floor and you can just come in a mop with a mop and that would just be one shot where everything is is done in place. So to me... Or, or, or something that's telegraphic is what you're saying, right? Like if it's a, a little bit more... Like if it was a, a kid who was covered in mud and they hit the button and then somebody wipes the button off, that's a much cleaner way to explain essentially the same point. We clean, yeah. right? Um, and that's so I think... or in your, Because we're, we're worried about each second, you know, um, and each well, shot. Well, but it, no matter what, it's about pacing. Right. Yeah. Because um, whether you're in a long form scene or, or a 30 or a 15 second spot, understanding um, the way that an audience is going to perceive the scene is kind of more or less our job, you know. Yeah. yeah. So I have a question when you're working with a writer, say you're the mm-hmm. writer's written a feature, you're directing it and the writer has written something that you're like, this is you're working on an indie. This is way too many shots. If the writer is there, you can say, what is the intent of this scene, right? If the writer's not there, how how can a writer help you understand what the intent is so that you might have to cut that whole visual chunk out, but you're still telling the meat of the character moment? If we're on set and I realize, oh, shoot, this is... I meant like you're in pre-pro 
and you're reading the script and you're like, this is unshootable. How do you, you would. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, uh, to answer the question you didn't mean to ask first though, I I would just, um, <laughs> I'd change it on, on the day, which is, which is hard. I do know how movies are made. You guys, I promise. <laughs> no, no, I know. I know. But I guess what I'm saying to, to, to writers at home, you know, who've maybe been mad at me, you know, like, like ideally they're there on set, but sometimes it's like, ah, oh, this isn't working. You just have to make a game time decision. Um, and that as a writer and as a person who values what everyone is doing, it hurts. I, I take it personally to do that to someone as well. Do you know what I mean? So it has to be justified and it has to be realistic and sometimes it's budget or whatever. And for our emerging writers, I want to say this is the kind of stuff that you will be asked when the script has a director on it. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't get too bogged down in worrying about it when you're in your draft six, you know, because you have a lot to figure out and it could be a good excuse to not write because you don't know how to make that shootable. Go ahead and make it not shootable for the first 10 drafts. When the director comes on, trust me, they will go through scene by scene and make sure they know the intent and I don't know how to shoot this and they will start doing all of that work. So it's so great to hear where you're going, but no, no excuses here to our emerging writers in pre-production not on set is when that director will go through that script well the development (laughs) development development when they come come on so but also okay sorry just just to add one more thing if you're talking about independent film and you know not big studio things um or short films or whatever these emerging writers and directors are working on i think the director you you should look at them as an asset for -hmm. the creative process and maybe you you know, I yep. mean, we've all heard the like action scene, you know, chase ensues, and then we'll figure that out later. Maybe that's a, a little bit too much to figure out later. But uh, I think as a writer, you can say, and then, you know, she trips and falls and breaks her mm-hmm. arm. And you're not exactly sure how it is, because you don't know what the location is. You don't know what the wardrobe is. You don't know. Like, I think it's fine for a writer to come to the director. This is rarely ever happened to me, but I would love if it did. And say, hey, you know, I really, this is, I wanted her to fall and break her arm because later on, this is her arm she plays, plays the violin with and now it's broken or whatever. But I, I didn't have a perfect way to do it. So let's, let's talk this out and let's figure out how this happens. And like you're saying, Meg, not to be stuck in the script on this one detail because you can't figure it out when really it's kind of a production detail mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day. And, and I know there's a difference between giving someone a script and selling it or, hey, we're going to. Like Matt make said, this. you know, just make this. So let's be a team about it. Well, in terms yeah. of just shoot it, um, just step two, is there anything that you would recommend are better to shoot than other? Meaning should, okay, I'll just use my son. I always use him because too bad. He's not here. He can't say <laughs> no. Um, he's a film student um, down at Chapman. So oh, cool. um, of course for school, he's going to make a bazillion short films from 30 seconds up to, you know, 20 minutes. But should he also be trying to his hand at a spec commercial? Are there other forms? Should mm-hmm. should people be doing their own full features? Like, is there any forms that you would suggest over another? Or is it really just about any kind of shooting? When you're emerging, certainly, I think short form is, is the best because, again, it's low stakes. You know, like jumping into a feature at 20, 21, 22, you know, it's not a crazy idea. But like, if you're going to go spend five, six, seven figures, I mean, probably not seven figures, but like real money, like meaning um, a meaningful amount of money and even getting all your friends together, you know, uh, uh, it's nice to, to learn some mistakes with an iPhone or a camera that you borrowed or something like that, for sure. 
Yeah, and this is a horrible answer, but we, we've interviewed over 350 directors and everyone has a different story. As soon as we think it's only make shorts, it's the person that did the yeah. proof of concept or wrote the graphic novel or made you know the feature. And we, we've met so many directors that have turned into professional writers because they couldn't find anything to direct. No one gave them anything. And so um, I, I think we've seen... We've seen every iteration of what people make. Is uh, there any kind chap- of commonality between them? Is it that they're the people who found their voice or found a, like, is there any commonality? Yeah, the, the commonality is perseverance. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. there does seem to be a pretty good connection to personal connect, a, a pretty good pattern of people having personal connections to their stories. Like Brenna, um, our friend who directs a Went lot of, uh, yeah. She went to Chapman. She directs a lot of uh, the the Chicago uh, shows, Chicago yeah, PD, Chicago shows, Fire. Yeah. Uh, she made her short uh, that I think it won a student Oscar, right? Matt? It did, yeah. Uh, and she made it at Chapman, and it was about her grandfather used to be a car racer, and they, he would make these race cars that uh, they had all these races. There were no no female drivers back in the day, you know, like sixty years ago. And she wrote a story about what if there was a female driver in that time and um, that launched her career. And she said to this very day, she's directed probably like 30 episodes of TV or something. She just started a couple of years ago. Uh, and she's already directed 30 episodes. And she said her agents still send her short film as her work sample, one of her mm. best work samples. And it's because when she tells the story of why she wrote that story, it's just so captivating. And you're like, oh, you're the person that needs to tell the story. And with directing, I think with writing, for for sure that happens also. Oh, you should write this. You should write this. But writing, I think, is just so difficult. You know, it takes so much perseverance and you have to write so much to get good at it that if you find a really good writer, you you know, that a lot of them can write a lot of different things. Uh, with directors, there's so many directors and it's kind of easy. Like any idiot can be on set and just say action. And if they have a good crew that, you know, they'll, they'll turn out with something okay. Yeah, um, here so, I am. So with directing, you really have to say like, hey, I went through this experience that this character went through. I come from this world. I speak this language. I have this connection. And the more you can do that and stand out as not just one of these, you know, 10,000 generic directors, uh, the better chance you'll have in in getting ahead. And do you guys, do you guys, and I, this is almost an impossible question, but the, the, the entrepreneurial spirit of all of us in perseverance, this balance between and it kind of speaks to what we talked about at the beginning, putting my head down and working on my own work versus getting out there and making connections, going to those lunches, right? Mm-hmm. Going to the coffees and drinking way too much coffee because, and you need to do both, but do you have any kind of indicator of keeping that balance alive or is it just kind of by the seat of your pants? Yeah, I think, um, I think Warren and I have both done a bad job over the last five years of uh finding that balance if we're (laughs) i think we're kind of coming out of everything and realizing that um we're course correcting a little bit i won't speak for you or and i did a bad job um and uh you know i think it goes back to what you were saying about understanding your process um i know that if i'm self-generating content it has to be every day basically you know like i always joke an hour each day doesn't equal two in one day you know like you just you have to put in the time in a regular manner and so um that's my indicator if i'm skipping writing in the morning i'm, I'm out of whack um but but i think that's a, a a personal thing for everyone you know 
Yeah. Um, I think I always think of people that move to LA. I mean, not that you have to move to LA, but if you do, it, it, when I moved here, um, we had all my friends and I, we all had so many ideas for so many stories and we just were writing and making and doing all the stuff. And we had no one to show it to. No one would look at our stuff, you know, and now 15 years later, I have so many people to show my things to, but I don't have as many ideas. You know, now I'm editing myself. I'm saying, yeah, that idea I had is, mm -hmm. I mean, it's been done a hundred times. It's not original. It's not interesting. Um, and so it's, there's this, you know, you, you go from making and writing and doing all these things and not caring about anything, but not having anything to do with that to this place we're at now. And I think trying to, to me, that that's the the real balance of, of how much, how many risks you're willing to take and how, uh, how much judgment you're able to shed off of yourself, uh, versus meeting people and showing them things. Um, and yeah, I think just from a practical point of view, when we're working a lot, we're not, we're not meeting a lot of people. We're not going out to a lot of coffees and we're not showing when we're not working a lot, we are meeting a lot of people and taking and going out to coffee with them. And it, it's, it's kind of the worst version of it because it's, it would be best when you, to, to be meeting people when you're confident, when you have all these jobs coming up, when you're like, Hey, if you're lucky, I might have an opening, you know, next year. Um, and it's the worst to be meeting people when you're like, Hey, I have some availability. Here's some of my work. I'd love to hear what's going on with you. It's been a while since we worked together, you know? Um, yeah. It's, yeah. My friend today just, uh, you know, like Matt said, it's, it's a little slow in, in commercials. And I think kind of across every industry actually sure, tv everything um, right? yeah and he was showed me a sample of an uh he said you know i'm finding people on linkedin that i've worked with in the past and i'm kind of just sending them like the hey what's up let's talk about something we can collaborate on email and i read it and it's it's like i feel like he has to remove 90 percent of that email to not sound too thirsty sweaty yeah 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 to so be mysterious. It's, it's a tricky balance. To be mysterious. Exactly. <laughs> okay. I just sent an email to an exec I know that just said drinks. Yeah, there you go. There she you go. Back, that, that's the yep. Way. And then copied yeah. her assistant. And it was like, okay. That's an agent move, yeah. right? Yeah. That is oh, such it, an agent move. Yeah. Is it? One word email. Yeah. Yeah. Is that one an agent email? move? One word emails. <laughs> Lauren, what if you responded with uh, uh, a tall latte, please? <laughs> oh no but i just assume that people look at everything on their their cell phone and they look at like the first line right hey, so like listen, it drinks. worked no i think that's exactly right and the, you know this, there's it's bone dry there's no sweat on that email and right? there's so much confidence in it there's no yeah. like preamble or apology yeah. or i know you're busy but there's none of that it's just like want to go get drinks Done. Yeah, yeah i love it uh, i truly love it that's how yeah. is that an it, agent move do agents do that agents that love to send as few words one word as possible. email yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. agents write drinks, comma, bitch, question mark. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't, don't love me. Don't do that. Come on. But you yeah. should remember that yeah. when you're sending uh, information to agents, uh, you do need to keep it relatively yes. small. Uh, mm -hmm. and, right. And Here are five log lines. Do you like any of them? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> seen it. Seen it. Don't get it. No hook. Yeah. 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 So I stopped yeah. reading at five. No hook. What's yeah. the engine? Yeah, that's the, yeah. that's the other one. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. And I, I love kind of Meg's attitude of like, don't let anything get in the way between you and writing. Uh, but I, what I love about our podcast is just talking to very successful people like you two 
and seeing that you have hardships also, because mm-hmm. I think that's, to me, it, it I love commiserating, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so I think there's, yeah. there's something fun and optimistic and also just hearing, you know, how, how you all do your thing is exciting. I'm going to, I might steal that drinks email. Have, have, have you two been warned about uh, our, our ending segment? No, what's that? Unpaid endorsements. Something that you're into, basically, an endorsement of a... Uh, oh, something of, we're uh, watching or... We're watching, reading. Uh, you, it kind of tends to... Okay, that's it. easy. I love that. Unpaid endorsements. I just read a book that, honestly, it's one of the best books I've read in years. And I read a lot. And it's and I know it, this isn't going to be a surprise to anybody, but the book Tomorrow, Tomorrow, Tomorrow is so good. And it's about video game uh, creators, which is not necessarily my bailiwick. It doesn't matter. It's so good. Tomorrow, um, tomorrow, tomorrow. Awesome. Yep. Is, is it relatively new? Is that right? Am I thinking yes. of the right book? Yes. Yeah. It, yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. I have a new vacuum cleaner that I'm very oh. excited about. You don't know um, that you stumbled into something. You really <laughs> a hornet's nest here. Lauren. What's the vacuum cleaner? Welcome oh, to on. vacuum talk on. on just hold shoot on. it. I have a, na- it's a navigator shark. Mm. It's a shark navigator and the head swivels so you can get under the um, couch and stuff. So we got, that's re- how you know re- a writer refurbished. Yeah. Cleaning <laughs> is the perfect procrastination tool. And I, that's how you, I feel like a writer who's very aware of cleaning products, you know, that they've been working mm-hmm. as much as they have. Sure. <laughs> uh, so my, uh, my unpaid endorsement uh, is Charlie Kaufman's WGA acceptance speech. Yes. I'm yeah. seeing nods all around. Yeah, you pull over, stop working out, go watch it yourself. I'm not going to do it justice, but um, certainly it spoke to, I think, everyone on this podcast and uh, was just like a nice uh, affirmation about the importance of writing and maybe sometimes the dynamic between executives and, and writers and, and perhaps maybe they're not as important as they like to think they are. I was once upon in development and... Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. So, so, and Charlie Kaufman certainly does. So, um, that, that's my unpaid endorsement is, uh, Charlie Kaufman's WGA acceptance speech. Uh, just look it up and we'll have a link to it in our show notes. That's a great endorsement, Matt. Thank you. Uh, thank you. I, I was going to endorse this tweet. So the right, the person that wrote it is Jennifer Gross, G E N N E F E R Gross, like gross. Um, and she's at Jennifer on Twitter, but it seems as though she's deleted the tweet. It was her 15 best hamburgers in Los Angeles. And there was so much debate about it. D- did you hear about the, there's a, a lit manager that had written about, he had written about how you should know the marketplace when you're writing and trying to pitch. And basically so many screenwriters told him he didn't know what he was talking about and how he's giving bad advice that he deleted his own Twitter account. And he went off Twitter and he was, was a big influencer on there. Uh, anyhow, I imagine probably the same thing happened to Burger Jennifer. Burger Gate now. Yeah. Lost so, the list. And it's so sad because she would, someone would say, what about Bills and Van Nuys? And she's like, I've known Bill for many, th- for many years. You know, maybe if it was 20, 2017, his burger would still be on there. And she just knows everything about every hamburger in Los Angeles. It's insane. Um, I'm going to make but, a hamburger with latkes instead of buns. Ooh, that's that? a great idea. <laughs> a I would be, you know, uh, do you know the bagel truck Yeasty Boys? They will add a, yeah. uh, uh, 
uh, a hash brown to any bagel sandwich. No, but I'm and, talking um, about as the you're bun. You're talking about a, 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 sure. Yeah. It's I'm a diet. It. It's a diet hamburger. It's low <laughs> carb. It's, it's a low yeah. carb. Yeah. I love and we're going to ask you our questions now, you let's, two. Let's yeah. We'll take it. Okay. Rock and roll. So, um, what is your favorite thing about what you do? Uh, I, so I used to be an engineer, a uh, software engineer. And the reason I always tell people that I left software engineering and I moved to work in filmmaking is because I prefer to work with people than with computers. Of course, it turns out that all I do is work with computers now. And even this is recorded on my computer. But uh, I just love talking to people. And I was just telling my director friend, I was at Chipotle the other night and uh, my burrito bowl was made, I thought, pretty unsatisfactorily. And I fantasized about being the person that makes burrito bowls at Chipotle because you get to meet so many people and you get to make so many people happy. And so to me, that's what I love about what I do is just the, the sheer number of people that we get to interact with uh, when we are doing our job. Um, I, I love uh, that as a director, you get to wear a ton of hats. You get to be a bit of a generalist, you know, working with all of your different department heads is really wonderful. And then um, also there's a rhythm to it where you're pitching, you're writing, pitching, shooting, and then in post. And so I, as a bit of an introvert, get a little burnt out on set at a certain point, but I know that there's a dark editing bay and a VFX suite waiting for me. So that keeps me going too. Awesome. Uh, what pisses you off about directing? I don't love getting second guessed when sometimes I feel like uh, not everyone has an understanding of what the end goal is going to look like, what it's going to be. Like sometimes it feels like I'm the only person who knows what it's really going to look like, which isn't a great feeling, frankly. Um, but, uh, but then when you're getting second guessed on top of that and you're just like, if you understood this whole thing, you maybe you wouldn't have suggested that. And and oftentimes those are people that are that I have to answer to for some reason. They're a stakeholder as well. And that can be a little tricky. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The thing that drives me the most crazy is when when people are making decisions out of a place of fear as mm. opposed to a place of creativity. Happens a lot in commercials. Everyone's just scared. What's my boss going to say when they, we have this person doing this silly thing in a commercial that's supposed to be serious? But in TV, I know it happens also. And just, you know, the whole idea of coverage is right very much about uh, being afraid you didn't figure it out on set. Uh, and I, I love editing like, and I love all that stuff. But I, I just, it pisses me off when we can't take risks because people are scared that mm -hmm. we're doing something that, that isn't what you normally do. Two great answers. I, I would love to know from you two, um, if you could be remembered for any moment of your directorial career that you'd be want to be most remembered for. Most remembered for is tricky, but I will say that the thing that launched my directing career was a web series that I did like about 10 years ago now. Um, maybe it's, I guess it's a little older now, 12 or 13 years ago. But so... Um, and it was kind of like in the YA space. And so the people who loved that show are now out in the industry. And every once in a while, like I'll meet like a young manager or a development person who is like, hey, I loved Squaresville. And that's special. That's really, really special. I love that. Yeah, definitely an impossible question, especially we all have our careers, you know, span time. So 
I think we think of the things we did 10 years ago very differently than the things we're doing now. And, you know, we can look at them fondly, but now we're kind of in fear. So I, the last commercial I shot um, was with Rebel Wilson for, uh, it was a PSA about concussion awareness that I, I think is like my best commercial ever. I've seen it. And, oh, it's pretty work. good. Yeah. Pretty good, uh, right? Yeah. Um, so I think it's my favorite thing I've done recently. And before that, my favorite commercial I made was a Converse commercial that actually got never got released. The Converse killed it and I ended up finishing it myself, but it's with Pete Davidson and my wife is in it also. And I just, I think she's just so funny. Um, and she has this giant muscular leg in it and it gets me excited, but I think meaningfulness, my, um, the, the first feature I made, it was, uh, had a, a mostly deaf cast. Um, it was about wrestling. It was about a UFC fighter. It was about all these things that I really knew nothing about. I'd never really met a deaf person. I knew zero about the UFC or wrestling as a sport. And uh, it was just like this opportunity to dive into the, all these new worlds, which I think rarely happens now. Like, I think people really want to hire you to because you know this world. Um, and it, it's a movie that I really enjoyed making. I enjoyed editing. I learned so much about filmmaking. And it's still today... Like if you take an ASL class, you know, sign language class anywhere, there's like an 85% chance. If your teacher is hungover, they're putting on the hammer. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the hammer is the name of the movie. But, um, but so I feel like it has this, you know, of everything I've ever done, you know, I've, and I've had friends that done, you know, hundred million, worked on hundred million dollar TV shows that are kind of forgotten two years later, but my small feature is still, you know, like floats around the deaf community. And I just, to me that that's, that's something awesome. I don't mind. Having, I love that. Thank um, you, yeah. guys. This Thank has you. been fun. Thank yeah, you. So totally. fun. Um, typically, we ask people uh, how to keep track of our guests. Like, what? Where? How do you tweet? Do you have a website? What? Uh, where, we have how a, can podcast we stay in the world? a podcast called <laughs> "The Screenwriting Life," available on Apple and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. I think uh, our Facebook page, our Screenwriting Life Facebook page, is where we spend our most time because we're answering questions there and getting to know. The people who listen and have questions. So yeah, that's you, the best you, way to reach us. You're so good at community building, right? Like it, it truly is like an opportunity for people to kind of congregate and, and talk screenwriting. And that really is way. what we like the most about it. Yeah. 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 Or, and I just want to be a little more famous, just a little <laughs> bit more. would be good. I will say though, for our TSL listeners who know my voice, Just Shoot It is a really cool look at sort of that do-it-yourself entrepreneurial approach to getting shit done in the business. Not that we don't do that on TSL, but it sort of fills a different, it can fill a different cup. And I think they're just like beautiful companion podcasts. So for our TSL listeners who haven't, I'd highly recommend Just Shoot It. And then for you too, let them know where they can be following you as well. Yeah, we're Just Shoot It anywhere podcasts are found. Uh, and we're at Just Shoot It Pod across all social media. And uh, yeah, you can. I'm at O Kaplan on Instagram. And I'm at Mr. Matt Unlow across all social media, including Letterboxd. And I love it when people follow me on Letterboxd. That's fun. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.